Evidence and Answers. It's not surprising to know that many of us have friends or family living the gay lifestyle. They're open and unashamed of this decision. How should Christians react to those who have made this their way of life? And what does God's Word say about it? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zugren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today's message was taught by Glenn Stanton and was recorded at our recent Hawaii Apologetics Conference. This conference is hosted each year by Pat. Pat presents many renowned Christian apologists and international speakers, all experts in their fields. This year's theme was Apologetics That Connects. If you're unable to hear any portion of this message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Glenn with part two of his message entitled, Loving My Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Neighbors. You think about them coming to our church. What do we do with them as they come to our church? And first of all, again, let me say that them would be kind of, you know, those gays, is kind of like saying those Christians. Well, what do you mean? The Pentecostals? What do you mean? The Presbyterians? The Calvinists? The AG folks? The Seventh-day Adventist folks? The Catholics? I mean, which Christians are you talking about, right? It's the same with those gay folks, you know? They're individuals. And there are things that are generally true about certain groups, like you can say true things about Pentecostals, Charismatics, Lutherans. And so, you know, but we can't say collectively those people are these people. They're separate, they're individuals. And we've got to see them as individuals. I don't want to know about the group that you're a part of. I want to know about you. You know, what brought you to faith in Christ? What convinced you? What need did Christ fill? The gay individual, tell me about your story. When did you first realize that you were gay? Um, how did that come about? What they'll come back to you, and they say it to me all the time, Mr. Stanton, when did you first realize that you were heterosexual? You know, it's kind of this, if I had to come to a point to realize I was gay, when did you realize that you were heterosexual. And I've answered that in a frustration, frustrated sort of way. One time I did this, I go, two words, Charlie's angels. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a stupid question. And then the guy that I debate, he said, when did I realize I was gay? One word, chips. Remember that police show punch, the leather boots, tight, you know. To sometimes, have fun there, but also not bite. And that's a big thing of apologetics is don't let them set the agenda sometimes and know what they mean by the questions that they're asking. Some are honest questions, some are just trap or smokescreen questions. And just don't fall for them, don't bite. One of those smokescreen questions, and I want to get to three points about in the church, so remind me about that. What do we do with individuals coming into the church? But one of the smokescreen questions that we get is, okay, you as a Christian with your Bible, you think that the scriptures teach against homosexuality? Well, there are other theologians who look into the scriptures with great authority and great care, and they come to a very opposite conclusion. 
And there are a number of those people who do. You know, you can read their books, things like that. But one of the big questions that they'll ask you, I never, having done this for 20 years, I never engage them about what does Deuteronomy actually mean? What does Leviticus actually mean? What is the sin of Sodom actually? What is Paul writing about in Romans? Not because I don't want to engage them, but because I've never seen that resolve itself well. Because it's, you lay out all your evidence, we lay out all our evidence, and guess what? We both leave believing what we came in with. So it's a kind. Of, it's just there's no value in going there. Okay. If you want to deal with that in a seminary classroom and take the time, the weeks to break that down, but just don't even go there because they are going to get you in the smokescreen that you know. It's like in philosophy. Philosophers are digging up so much dust that you just can't see anything and make sense. What's interesting is I will always take them to Genesis 1 and 2. I have read all of the theologians who sort of gay-sex God and say, okay, he's pro-gay. None of them deal with Genesis 1 and 2, the design, the creation, because they can't, okay? So you go to that, you talk about that, but here's the big thing that they typically say, okay, it comes down to this, we are Christians, Christ. What is it? You tell me. Where did Christ say anything about homosexuality and that was bad? And I even had one guy debate me and he goes, this is, he held up this blank piece. This is everything Jesus ever had to say about homosexuality. The audience applause, everything's wonderful. And you know, I'll take the paper. This is everything Jesus had to say about stiffing your waitress on her tip. But we can bet from other things that he said that he's probably not real big on that idea. First of all, that's the logical problem. And if you have a scholar who's doing that, say, you know what, you know the problem of the argument from silence. Okay, well, you never told me not to spray paint the side of your car. And since you never told me, I, you know, it, that just doesn't work. The, what you've got to do is that yes, you look in the concordance, homosexuality, gay, lesbian, you know, see the Gospels. It, you know, it's just not there. So what you have to do is say, yes, Jesus never uttered that word, but again, the problem, that's an argument from silence. But answer this question. What was the sexual ethic that Jesus taught? That blows their mind. And it's not a trick but that's the question, right? It's not, what did he say about this, that, or the other? Okay? It's, what did he say about sex? What's the boundaries for that? What's his picture for that? And you know where he talks about that? That's interesting. You think about that as Christians. Where would you go? What would you look at? You look at the beginning of chapters Matthew 19 and Mark 10. People are asking him about divorce. And he says, don't you remember from the beginning that God created them male and female? He takes his questioners back to Genesis 1 and 2. Okay, first of all, Jesus is pointing to Genesis 1 and 2 as true and authoritative. Okay? 
And he says, And there we read that the man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, Jesus doesn't use the word sex there either. But in that, you know, what he's talking about is this is God's ideal for people to come together in the domestic, marital, and sexual union. Gay or lesbian friend, I mean, you know, do you have a contrary view of that? And whether, well, let's talk about Leviticus. They don't know how to deal with that. And so as a, an important apologetic angle is don't follow the road that they're laying out or you know don't you create a different kind of tricky road go to the question itself and try to be honest and try to be fair about that not you know you're going to zig so I'm going to zag it's what's the issue what's the topic so in that one it's what is Jesus' sexual ethic that's what it comes down to now Coming back to what do we do with individuals who come into our church? One of the things that we cannot settle for, and I hear Christians say this, and I am open to being critical of the church, okay? But when people say, well, the church has a lot to answer for and a lot to apologize on the gay and lesbian question, I reject that. Because what I find is... The church is pretty gracious and pretty kind. I was talking to a woman this morning, nice kind of, you know, older Bible mom, very conservative. She says that their teenage or when their son was a teenager, he came out to them. She's the church lady, you know. You would think, okay, we know what she did. Get out, son. We, you know, light and darkness have nothing to do with one another. She said, you know what? You are our son. There's nothing you can do that would make us love you any less. She didn't change her position. She didn't change her theology. And her son was blown away. And they have a great relationship today. Most Christian parents do that. And focus on the family, okay? We're the ugly, mean, judgmental people. If we have a parent call and say, my son just came out to us, my husband wants to kick him out, I don't really want him here, but I don't want him kicked out, what do you guys say? Okay, you guys know the answer. Get him a Greyhound ticket and get him out of town. No, it's, no, embrace him, love him, tell him, like the prodigal son's father, you know what, there's nothing that's us. That's who we are. So, Alabama Baptist Church, okay? Another illustration of this is think about going down some side country road in Bible Belt, Alabama, this country church, Pinecone Baptist. You pull in, you know, lots of blue hairs there. They've got the organ going, you know. And these two gay men pull over and they walk in and say, we're new here, we've never been here, we live in, in Birmingham, and we come by here sometimes and this church looks interesting. Could we just come in and see what you're about? The two little, you know, blue-haired ladies, you know, who are the greeters, what do you think they're going to do? Did you say gay? You're gonna have to leave. No, those two nice ladies will, will probably be like, oh my goodness, I've never met two gay men. They're going to be a little nervous, but they're like, oh, 
you know, please, yes. So you're just driving, you know, through from Birmingham, or you know, our meeting starts in ten minutes. Let's meet, you know, introduce you to our pastor, and these are the deacons. You know, they would be welcome, even at the most conservative kind of church. And you guys know that, right? Again, you may be a little nervous, but they would be embraced. I hear this story all the time, and it's a Christian who has a gay co-worker or a gay neighbor, not so much with family members, because family members know each other, but co-workers or neighbors. I had a friend, and again, I could not tell you how many times I've heard this kind of story, and you guys probably have heard it as well. Just one, one example. At Moody Radio, I was at Moody Bible Institute, I was being interviewed on my book, and the relatively young woman who was interviewing me, she told a story. She said, my husband and I, we live next to these two gay men, and they've lived there a long time, and he likes gardening, I like gardening, so we trade ideas, and you know, if he needs soil, I need, you know, we do gardening together. But she said, we walk together three days a week, me and one of the other guys. And, you know, we have a good relationship. Well, he found out that I work at Moody Bible Institute. And he said, you know what? I can no longer be friends with you because I can't be friends with somebody who hates me and thinks I'm a sinner. She was able to sort that out. I've known Christians who that has happened to them. And they're like, oh, gosh, I hurt their feelings. I mean... No. Okay, he's the guy that found out how you were. You're supposed to hate him. Have you just been putting on all these years, gardening and walking with him three days a week? You know what I mean? Like, for him, for crying out loud, you're smart. These two years, you know, no, I'm not a bigot. No, I don't hate you. You know what? I'm not judgmental of you. He's the one who cut the relationship off. He's the one who made the judgment. He's the one who built the bridge. And you know what? Her heart, like any other Christian's heart, was like, oh, good Lord, now I don't have to deal with that doggone gay man anymore. It broke her heart, right? And so we need to be able to, you know, do that. You know, I've reached out to them. I like that relationship. And, you know, they're the ones that that did the cutoff thing. There. That's very, very important. So don't let their choices, their distancing, shame you. Mourn it. Be sad about it. In fact, engage it. You know? Okay, I thought the fact that we had been walking three times a week was maybe an indicator that I really do like you for who you are. Don't let the relationship just go away, but point out the facts in a loving, caring kind of way there. Okay. Now, what do we do with people coming into our church, okay? Like those two nice blue-haired ladies, we welcome them. And I've got a really good friend who pastors an E-Free church in a gay community, heavy, hardcore. The light posts for these three-block areas are rainbow-colored. He pastors a church down there, and he has um, a couple of gay couples who come to his church. And he has a rule. Well, I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But we have gay individuals coming to our church. We welcome them. We are so glad that you're here. We are so honored that you're here. 
We welcome them in. What do we do next? We teach the Word of God to everybody. And if there's an overeaters convention in town and some of them might come to church that day, we don't go look for the gluttony verses, you know. We teach what we teach. If the gluttony verses happen to come up that day, they just happen to, you know, we we just teach through the Word of God. And we don't avoid some things. We don't, you know, put our thumbs on the scale on other parts in a big way. We just teach the Word of God as we have it. And then we either cooperate with the Holy Spirit in convicting in sin of our own and revealing truth or at least we try to get out of the Holy Spirit's way and say, God, you do the fixing in this person's life as you see fit. Because all of us, okay, you know, we come into the kingdom of God, you know, when is that person going to just stop being so prideful? It's been a Christian for six months now. When is that person just going to stop being so gossipy? They've been a Christian for a year and a half. The kingdom of God is messy in that way. And it happens differently. And we don't just give people a pass, but neither for certain sins. You know what? We're going to give you eight months. We want the silliness gone by eight months. It's just you trust God to work these things out, to love these people, to care, um, just like we would anybody else. Now, There are a number of things, and I'm going to finish with this, and then maybe we can have some some time for Q&A. There are a number of issues that we deal with that where it's what I like to call there's not answers in the back of the book or clear answers. There's a lot of gray here that we've got to really pray through, think about. One example is the big one, the gay wedding. Okay? The gay wedding. My son is marrying his partner. What do I do? My daughter is marrying her partner and she wants me to give her away. What do I do? On that, I deal with that in the book. There are no straight answers. For me, what I say is if you cannot go to that wedding and you can't get over it, look at why that's the case. Is it bitterness? Is it anger? Or is it just, you know what? I, I just can't get on board with that. We have to respect that. But then there are others who say, as I like to say, you know what, if it's Frank from accounting and you, know, you go down and see him every couple of weeks and he issues you, you know, your expense check, maybe that's not something you want to go to. But if it's your assistant at work and you're involved in his or her life, that's a different matter. If it's your child, you know, you've got to wrestle with that a little bit more. And it really comes down to where you're at and what's your rationale and whether it's pure and whether it's good. Now, here's my line, just personally, is I've got some gay and lesbian friends that I would like to go to their wedding just to bless them and say, you know what, I'm here for you. But I could not. I draw the line absolutely in whether it's a Christian wedding or not. Even if it's like crazy liberal Episcopal church. Okay, that guy is in front of a cross, 
He's holding a Bible. I mean, he's got the, the trappings of Christianity and he's there as a minister of Christianity. I cannot participate in under the authority of Christianity saying these kind of marriages are fine. I think even if that were my child, for me personally, I do not think I could do that just because that's very meaningful to me. If it were a Unitarian church, you know, or a New Age, you know, knock yourselves out, Unitarians, you know. But it would depend on who that person is and what my connection with them is. At work, I have a very, very good friend. He is a, a pastor on our pastoral counseling staff. Very conservative guy. He has a lesbian daughter. His lesbian daughter wanted her dad to be there, to walk her down the aisle. And he agreed to do that. And my thing was, even though that violated my... You know what? I know him. He's solid. He's been a pastor his whole life. He's not squishy on everything, but he said, you know what? My daughter needs me, and I want to be there for her. You know what? I can't fault that. If he were to go, you know what? It's just God just loves everybody, and you know what? A wedding is a wedding. You know, that's a problem. So there are things like that that, you know, sometimes there's just not a black and white answer there. The other is in developing these friendships and relationships, as I say in the book, not when you step on each other, or not if you step on each other's toes and offend one another, but when you are going to do that. I could do that coming to the islands here. You're in a different culture. You say something. You don't mean anything by it, but it's offensive. And you know what you need? You know what, Glenn? You said earlier this. I mean, you need to know how that sounds. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry. You know, and you back to them. I have, it's funny, because I'll go out to dinner with them and, and things like that, and they'll go, okay, now, I, I've always wanted to ask one of you evangelicals or fundamentalists a question. Now, as somebody who takes the Bible literally, you believe, and I go, nope, I don't take the Bible literally. Really? But I, I thought you guys did. Nobody takes the Bible literally, okay? Even the most extreme conservative, you know? Jesus says, I am the door. It's not a, you know, is he oak, mahogany, you know? No. So it's, it's explaining to them, you know what, when you guys say that, even we say that as Christians, you know, but it's just, it's not true. So, you know, correct their things, but do it lovingly, and let them correct you as well, and understand them. And again, like the, I will call a transgender person, you know, what they, you know what, for the sake of just graciousness and kindness and connection, you know what, let that go play the game there, but on other things, hold your ground. But again, the main thing is no truth and stick to truth, but the person matters. Again, apologetics is not about winning arguments, it's about winning hearts. It's so interesting at work when I would come back from these debates. So did you win? It does make me a bit angry with my... Co you know what? Good Lord, it's not about winning. Yeah, I smashed them. You know, they left crying. No, it's about persuasion. Did you persuade? Did you show them something different? Did you give them something to think about? Did you challenge their own assumptions in meaningful ways? That's what we've got to be able to do. That's what's important because it's the person that matters. Let me leave you with this. 
we always deal with the person who's in front of us with grace. We always deal with the issue itself in truth. And those things are always going to mix, right? The person with grace and the issue with truth. And sometimes we have to lean more on the issue and the truth. Sometimes we have to lean more on the person who's right in front of us. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. Be sure to join us again for another exciting show. We hope you enjoy Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.